Luke chapter 21. And today we're studying verses 34 to 36. It's on page 1042 if you're using a pew Bible. For those of you just joining us for the first time this Sunday, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we are studying through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, here's a congregation and planning to finish Luke, I think Labor Day weekend is when it's scheduled to finish. So we shall be done. We're almost to chapter 22. And the last three Sundays we've been looking at Luke 21, which is Jesus' teaching on an interesting topic. It's his teaching about the end times and uh, what, what that means. So it's kind of fascinating, and we've been working our way through it. And today we come to verses 34 to 36. So let me just read this passage, and you can follow along in your Bibles. Luke chapter 21, verse 34. Jesus says, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly, like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So for the past two Sundays, as I said, we've been studying Luke 21 and it's been focused on Jesus' teaching about the end times. Uh, the events that are going to lead up to His second coming when Christ comes again. And if you were here two Sundays ago, we looked at verses 5 to 19. And in that section, Jesus was uh, talking about the fact that the end would not come right away. That there would be an extended period of delay between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So that we as Christians shouldn't be thrown off guard. We shouldn't be freaked out if, if there's persecution and trouble for us in our faith in between Jesus' first and second comings. He hasn't forgotten about us. It's just that there's going to be a delay. And then last Sunday, we looked at verses 20 to 33, and in that section we saw that there would be certain signs that would precede the second coming of Christ, so that we need to, to be alert for those. We saw, for instance, that the, the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., remember we studied that last week, would be a prefigurement and a sign of the second coming of Christ. And so we were looking at uh, those different issues, which are very interesting. But today in verses 34 to 36, we come to the final segment and this is where we have to ask the all-important question. This is the question you always need to ask after you've done an in-depth study of theology and doctrine on some issue. And that all-important question we have to ask is, so what? <laughs> so what? If this is true, if Christ is returning, if this world is not going to go on forever, but there is a day of judgment, so what? What does that mean for our lives? How should we respond to this truth and this doctrine that we've been studying here in Luke chapter 21? This is the question of application. And I think it's a really important question to ask. It's always important. But especially when you're studying eschatology, the, the doctrines of the end. Because eschatology is just one of those topics, as we've mentioned before, that's so easy to get wrapped up in. Speculation. You know, people just get caught up in it. And, and it's so easy to get into, oh, is there an Antichrist? Who is he? When is he coming? Are events that are happening today corresponding to prophecies in the Bible? How is it going to work out? Is it premillennialism or amillennialism or postmillennialism? Or maybe you're one of those panmillennialists. You know, it'll all pan out in the end. Uh, but you know, whatever, 
whatever your theological system is. It's easy to get caught up in that. And to get so busy developing our end times chart and timetable, which is, you know, worthy of discussion and study, that we forget to come back to the central question. So what? What is it that God wants us to live in response to these truths, however you understand all of these complex things working out? And the answer to so what is not to to satisfy our curiosity. That's not why Jesus taught this. Rather, the so what of Jesus' end times teaching can be summed up in two words. This is what Jesus wants us to do in response to this truth. It's very simple. Keep watch. That's the teaching. Keep watch. Whenever Christ talks about His second coming, this seems to be His application. Stay alert. Pay attention. Keep watch. Look at verse 34. This is now He's summarizing His teaching. This is what we're supposed to do. Number one, be careful. You could also say be watchful or translate that word be aware, be on high alert. Look at verse 36. Be always on the watch. And so as Christians living in this world with all of the ins and outs of this world and the things we have to do, we we live with a constant or should live with a constant awareness and attunement to the things of God. Always being on watch, always being ready for Christ's coming, and therefore living in this world in a different kind of way than the people who live in this world as if it's going to go on and on forever. It's interesting, at the beginning of Luke 21, go back to verse 8. I just noticed this last night for the first time. Look how he begins the discourse. Verse 8. He replied, watch out. So it begins with watch out, and it ends with keep on the watch. Uh, or, or put your finger here. Look back at another instance where Jesus teaches about his second coming in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. This is another for instance, and we could multiply these, but I won't do that. I'll just show you one. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Talking about his second coming through the metaphor of servants waiting for a master. He says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. And so the watchword is watch. That is what Christ calls us to do in response to His second coming. To live in a state of alertness, awareness, not just going through this life, doing the motions, but as Christians always thinking and, and being tuned into the kingdom of God. Processing reality at two levels simultaneously. The, the day-to-day nitty-gritty of life, but also aware that Christ's kingdom is coming, Christ is coming back, and letting that higher level of reality transform the, the normal day-to-day level of reality. This is what Christ calls us to do. It made me think of the, uh, the Homeland Security you know, color code systems. You know, it's like there's, there's like five colors. There's blue, which is everything's cool. And then there's green, which is, well, it's pretty cool, but not totally. And then there's yellow, which is there's a threat. And orange is an elevated threat. And red is like, you know, an eminent identified threat, or however it works. And the whole point of that color system is to, to just keep us aware that we have to be on the alert for, for terrorist threats. And it's trying to make the whole nation alert. I went to the website, and uh, right in the center of the website on the home page was this sentence. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. Here we go. All Americans should continue to be vigilant 
take notice of their surroundings, and report suspicious items or activities to local authorities immediately. Now, I assume that doesn't include my kids because there's a lot of suspicious activities <laughs> with them, so I'm sort of filtering them out. But you know, that's the point. We, we all need to be on the alert. And Christ is calling us to a heightened state of alertness. That we don't simply go through the motions of everyday life, but we're staying alert and awake for the reality of Christ's return. And it should affect how we live today. <clears throat> See, you know, I said earlier that there's a danger in studying the end times, that you can get caught in speculation. And that is a danger, but you know, I really don't think there are that many Christians who their main problem is they're just so consumed with speculation about the end times that they go off in rabbit trails. I mean, there's some who fall into that trap. I think the bigger problem for most of us Christians, including myself, when it comes to the end times, is I just don't even think of them at all. I live my life. I mean, how often do I wake up thinking, Christ is coming back. How then should I live? I just don't think that way. I live as if there's always going to be a Hingham. I live as if Weymouth will be here till forever. I live as if there's always going to be Whole Foods or Stop and Shop <laughs> or wherever you shop. I live as if South Shore Plaza will always be there. I live as if the Cape will always be there. I live as if this world is, is it. That this is the end of reality. That this is the cul-de-sac of, of existence. And that everything is here. And, and, and that's how I, and I said, well, is Christ coming back? Well, yeah, Jesus is coming back someday. I believe that. Yeah, but do I really believe it? And does it affect the way I interact with this reality in which I find myself? <clears throat> and, and so I think that whatever your theological system is, I don't care what, what your specific beliefs are about the end times, if as a result of your specific beliefs about the end times, you're not shaken and awakened to a heightened sense of awareness and preparedness, then, then your system isn't working. <laughs> because that's the main point that Christ wants us to get out of this, is to be on the alert, to be on the watch. So then, what does that look like? Let's get a little practical here. What does it look like to be on alert? I mean, I, I understand what it means for Homeland Security to want me to be on alert. I, I know there's certain things I need to be looking for, but what does that mean really for a Christian? I mean, we have the concept, but how does that work itself out Tomorrow morning when you're doing whatever you're doing, work or school or, you know, grocery store or wherever you're going, how do you live on the alert? What does that feel like and how does it manifest itself in daily living? And so we have in verses 34 to 36, we have the command to be alert twice. And following each command to be alert, you'll notice Jesus spells out specifically how that should manifest itself in our day-to-day -day living. And so there's two things here, two things that being alert means. The first one is in verse 34. It's kind of a negative. Being alert means be careful not to do this. And in verse 36, there's a positive. Be alert means you should do this. So there's a negative followed by a positive. We'll take them each in turn. And the first one is this. To be alert means be careful that you're not weighed down with worldliness. Don't be weighed down. Look at verse 34. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. I like that phrase, weighed down. I don't know, when I was studying it, it just it caught my imagination. I was thinking of that image of being pressed downward. I thought of a person with a big weight on their back, 
and, and they're bent over because they're lugging this huge weight. And as a result, all they can see is, is this world. Their, their focus is downward because the weight pushes them over. And they can't obey verse 28 where Jesus said, look at verse 28, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is the, the Christian posture. Right? This is not the Christian posture. You know, looking around at the ground. We're, we're supposed to, in our hearts, I'm, I'm talking, not our physical posture, in our hearts, we're supposed to be turned upward toward Christ and always looking to Him. You know, Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And, and, and so in our hearts, there must be a constant tuned-in-ness to Christ and His kingdom. And, and so you can't be weighed down. The, the other uh, great uh, image of weighed down that you find in the New Testament is it's used to describe how you feel when you're really tired. You know, your eyes feel heavy. You've ever been so tired you can't even keep your eyes open? Which is a funny thing, because you think about how much the skin on your eye weighs. I mean, it's not a lot. I don't even know if that's a, it's an ounce. I mean, just feel it. It's very, it's very light. But for some reason, when you're heavy, it's as if it weighs a ton. It's the weirdest thing. I remember one time I was driving back, and I was almost falling asleep on the road. I was driving back from uh, Dartmouth College. I'd spoken to a little Christian group there and st- went late, about a three-hour drive back. And I'm telling you what, I was, I was almost swerving off the road. I was doing one of those things where... You know, you'd have little moments where you weren't sure how long you were doing this. And so you crank the radio up. You try to find a heavy metal station and just blast it. And you turn on the AC and, you know, roll down the windows to try to stay awake so you could get home. And, and so that's how it is that there's this heaviness that, that comes upon us that wants to weigh us down from the world. And, Paul, and uh, Jesus is saying, stay awake. Don't be weighed down. Isn't that how it is? You know, when I'm here in the worship services with you, I'm all good. We're singing about Jesus. The choir sings a number like that. I'm reading the words. I'm thinking about the glory of God. My spirit is lifted up. I'm thinking about how important God's glory is and how it should change my life. And I'm talking to you after the service and people are talking about what God's doing in their life and I'm being built up by the fellowship of the church. But the second I step out of the door, it's like this magic pixie dust is falling from the sky. And I start getting sleepy. And I'm instantly on to other things. It's amazing how that happens. And so I have to fight back against that. I have to stay awake. Be alert. Be careful. Or your hearts will be weighed down. What are some of the things that weigh us down? Well, Jesus lists some of them. He says uh, there's dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Just a couple examples. Let's take the first two, drunkenness and dissipation. Which I think what Jesus is really talking about is, is the more broadly he's talking about an excessive pursuit of worldly pleasures. You know, drunkenness is an example. Uh, because notice, he doesn't condemn wine. You know, alcohol itself, in and of itself, is not evil. It's the abuse of alcohol, which is very easy to do, which is why it's, it's such a dangerous thing. But it, it's the abuse, it's, it's drunkenness, it's becoming consumed with the alcohol. Um, and notice that word dissipation, that's a great word. Uh, you know, that's also the Greek word for not just dissipation, generally speaking. It's, it's the Greek word that's used to describe what your head feels like when you're drunk. So kind of, you know, dizzy and, and you know, if you ever had the spins or, you know, anything like that, you've drunk too much and you just feel, you know, you black out. It's the, it's the Greek word for a hangover. So that's, that's it. <laughs> Waking up with a throbbing headache and every noise is too loud and every light is too bright. That's the Greek word for that experience. It's the way that alcohol just messes with your head. 
so that you can't think straight, you can't focus. And it's true, alcohol does that. It's literally a depressant. It literally weighs your brain down so that you can't think straight. But you know, it's not just that alcohol is a depressant physically, it's, it's a depressant on your heart. It weighs your soul down so that even when you're not physically under the influence, you're always under the influence of its power because you're thinking about how to get to the next drink. And so I'm talking to you, but my mind is already scheming. Okay, how long is it till I can get to what I need? And, and so you're planning and you're plotting, and, and so you become a manipulator of people and situations. That's why Jesus says in verse 34, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with drunkenness. Isn't that funny? Your heart weighed down by drunkenness. That's what it does. It just weighs the heart down. Drugs do the same thing. I was thinking about a joint. I wasn't thinking about having one. I was thinking, you know. <laughs> How much does a joint weigh? How much does it weigh? Probably about as much as my eyelids. It's just a small, little, light thing. But it's so heavy to the soul. It will drag your soul to hell if you get consumed with it. And so it has this spiritual tonnage that pulls a person down away from God. But it's not just drugs and alcohol. You know, sometimes that's easy to pick on. He's like, well, I don't do that, so I'm okay. Well, okay. So what's your pleasure? What's your pleasure that weighs you down and pulls you down away from Christ? Yeah, I was thinking about here in America, if you're into pleasure seeking, I mean, our country, we have made, we have made a profession out of pleasure seeking. We're experts in it. What are you into? We got it. You like TV? We got direct TV, we got satellite TV, we got cable TV. You can have hundreds of channels of nothing on and just watch it all you want. Sports, you know, sports are great, but if you want to get obsessed with sports, we have ESP1, ESPN2, we have all the we can watch sports all day long. You can get totally consumed in magazines and articles and everything about sports. Are you into shopping? We have malls. We have the Home Shopping Network on TV. And you can shop online. You can shop till you drop and then go home and shop some more online with a click, <laughs> click of a mouse. Uh, you know, what, what is it that you're consumed with? Is it, is it food? We have so much food. Uh, is, is it entertainment? Is it computers and computer games? We have you know, the PlayStation 3 now and the Xbox 360 and the Wii and PC games. There's just so much we can do to immerse ourselves in pleasure. And so it's this inordinate seeking of pleasure, making an end in itself. And, and let me again be really clear here. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not preaching asceticism. I'm not saying that we should all be monks and go live in a monastery and forsake all worldly pleasures forever. Although for some of us that might actually be a good idea for four or five months. <laughs> Maybe we should do that actually just to detox and, and get ourselves back on track. Maybe we should have some evangelical monasteries. I don't know. But, uh, but what I'm saying is it's that excessive preoccupation. And you know how it is. You know what it is. It's when you start feeling weighed down. And you don't think about the Lord. And your heart is not alive and stirring with prayer and excitement for the kingdom of God. And, and you're like, you know, it's been like three weeks since I picked up the Bible. But I have not missed my television shows. That's a problem. <laughs> it's those kinds of things. Where, where we look in our lives and we see that my zeal for the Lord is low and my zeal for other pleasures is high. And then it could be a pretty good indication that worldly pleasures are weighing us down. But it's not just the pleasures. 
Notice it's also the pressures. It's not just sensuality, it's also stress. Because notice it's dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Where we get so hung up on the problems in our lives and our problems consume us so that we're no longer looking to Christ and and looking to His glory and His kingdom, but it's stress and anxiety about everyday things. You know, I I talk about how you leave here and you instantly start thinking about worldly things. It's like I leave here and I'm telling you, I'm going to drive up by my house, I'm going to see my front lawn, I'm going to start thinking about how I need to put crabgrass fertilizer down and crabgrass preventer, and I need to start thinking about other projects I need to do around the house, and there I go. I'm off. And they're not bad things. Got to do it. Got to take care of your house. But it's so easy to start stressing about that, thinking about that, waking up in the middle of the night, thinking about those things. We think about money. That stresses us out. You can do it your whole life. You can be, okay, so you're just graduated from college. Now you're thinking, I've got to get a job. I need some money. I don't want to live at home anymore. I've got to get an apartment. So you start figuring out how to get money for that, and then that's good. And then you meet someone special. How am I going to get money for the engagement ring? How are we going to get money to buy a house? I don't want to be in an apartment anymore. So you're saving up money for that. Then you got that settled. You're like, hey, do we have enough money for kids? How many kids can we have? And then what about when you're in midlife and your kids are now time to go into college? You're like, can we afford college? You're worried about money for that. And then you, you retire and you say, do I have enough money to retire on? And then it's time to perhaps go into a retirement community. Can we afford one? Can we afford a good one? And so you can spend your whole life thinking about money from beginning to end. <clears throat> It's so easy to worry about those things. Yeah, okay, you're not an alcoholic. Great. Are you a worry wart? Do you live in a constant state of fretting about everything in this world? Isn't Christ coming back? Isn't that the truth? So how should that affect me? Don't I believe that, therefore, if God is coming back, that means that human history is following a plan. It's not random. Things aren't just unfolding. That means the things that happen in my life are part of a plan. I can't always understand the plan. I can't always square the plan with God and, and what He's doing because there are points I can't see it. But if there's a plan, that means, well, all these things I'm stressing about are part of God's plan of something He's doing in my life. But if I'm weighed down by the stress, then I, I lose that perspective altogether. And I just become consumed in the issues and struggles that I'm facing. Problem is, here's the problem is that when we get weighed down, whether by pleasures or by pressures, by drunkenness or anxiety, here's the problem, verse 34, that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Right? You're trapped. When I, when I read that, I, I don't know why, I thought of those Venus flytrap plants. That's what I thought of when I read I was like, oh, yeah, it's like those Venus flytraps. They sit there like this and a little bug comes in and if the bug stimulates the, the cilia that are inside the plant. It's just an amazing plant. It's one of the few plants that can actually move quickly. And it triggers a chemical response. And within one second, it goes and closes. And the little uh, hair-like fibers at the top of it interlock with each other. It actually forms chemically a hermetic seal. And the mouth becomes the stomach. And it starts excreting uh, digestive enzymes into the middle of it that break down the bug slowly. It's kind of gross. And, and you know, slowly dissolve this bug. And it eats the bug and receives the nutrients. So it's pretty cool. (laughs) Question for you. Why does a dumb bug go into the trap? Because it also secretes a sweet nectar that the bugs find irresistible. 
And so this whole world is just like gooey with nectar. It's just pulling me in. I feel it. You know, the next movie comes out or the next whatever that I have to have or the next upgrade for my thing that I'm into, my hobby or my sport. and It just pulls me in. It's so hard. I'm drawn into it like a dumb bug. Or the stresses of life just draw me in and it pulls me down. And Christ is saying that if that's your reality, it's just going after the next gooey nectar, sometimes Christ is going to come back someday and the trap will be sprung. And you may find out that you thought you were a Christian, but you weren't. Because when the day comes, you're not escaping. You're just settled down in the stuff with everybody else. Because this is a trap that will be sprung not just on a few, but verse 35, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. So, what is the sweet nectar that sucks you down? We all have something. Is there a particular pleasure or enjoyment in life that it's not evil in and of itself, but you just know with who you are and your personality, it tends to draw you away from a love for Christ? What is that for you? I believe that that we all have something different that we get pulled down by. Or is there a stress or anxiety right now that's just got you sucked down and you're so focused on that that you, you haven't been praying? You haven't been seeking the Lord. It's pulled you down. Can you identify what those things are? And once you do, then it's time to move to verse 36, which is the second way in which we're supposed to be on the alert. And this is the positive. So let's look at verse 36. So the first was negative. Be careful lest your hearts be weighed down. Here's the positive. Be always on the watch and pray. Prayer is how we escape the downward pull of this world and of our own sinful natures. And notice what we're supposed to pray for. He says, be always on the alert and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Now that word able there, I don't like the translation. I think it's a little soft. The Greek word really means something more like be strengthened. So what you're doing is we're praying for strength. God, make me strong. I want to be strong to resist this world. Because the reality is you can't resist it. I can't resist it. Let me tell you something. If you go away from this sermon and you go home and you go, you know what, that pastor's right. i got some stuff in my life that's pulling me down. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try harder. I I make a resolution. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to fix myself and make it better. You're totally, you've lost already. You can't do it. You can't make yourself better. If I could, I would have done it a long time ago. (laughs) But I can't. Because it's not just that the world is pulling me down, but I'm pulling myself down. We are all sinners. And so it's not just what the the culture does. It's, It's this inward pull that I have in myself. You know, the devil didn't make me do it. I didn't need his help at all, frankly. I did it just fine myself. And, and we're pulled down by that sinful nature. It's, it's like gravity just yanking us downward. Do you know why I sin and why you sin? Let's be honest. It's because I love sin more than I love Jesus. That's so evil. And it's pulling me toward sin and unrighteousness. And so what do I need to do to fight back? Pray for strength. I need God to lift me out of it. And so I need to pray. And the prayer is, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. I can't 
change the way I am. I can't fix myself. I need a supernatural solution to my dilemma. Christianity is not a self-help religion because you can't help yourself. God can help you. It's a divine help religion where we come to the end of ourselves and say, I'm not smart enough. I don't have it figured out. I'm not righteous enough. Christ, would you save me from myself and from my sins? And God reaches down and he saves. And the way we access it is through prayer. It's prayer. Prayer is great. Prayer is simply faith verbalized. That's what prayer is. Just a heart of faith that verbalizes itself to God and says, God, help me. God, I need you. God, save me. I'm a sinner, Jesus. Rescue me. As it says in the Bible, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And prayer is that power that, that lifts us out. It, I was thinking of like the space shuttle. You guys ever seen the space shuttle take off? It's, I love that thing. You know, it's, it's rocket and fire and smoke. It's cool. And so there's a space shuttle, which is like this little ship, and then it's on this huge booster. This enormous thing. Because the space shuttle doesn't launch itself. It gets attached to this huge booster that propels itself upward. It, and so it needs all that fuel to break the gravitational pull of the earth, as you know. And that's how prayer is. Prayer is how we access God's power so that God lifts us out of the world and we escape. Because without his help, I can't do it. I'm not going to make myself better just by trying harder. I need God to pull me out. And so as we're sinking in the quagmire, in the quicksand, and you know, grasping about, and every time, the more we move and the more we fight, the more we sink into our habits and patterns, there's this rope dangling right in front of our face. It's called prayer. But we don't grab it. <laughs> oh, no, God, I'll get it. <laughs> we sink down deeper. And the rope's dangling right there, and we don't grab it. If you grab the rope, the great thing is that on the other end of the rope are the mighty arms of Jesus that carried the cross for you. And He will grab the rope, and He can hoist you out. And so we need to pray. You know, are, are you weighed down with pleasure? I'm going to tell you something. God can change your heart. God is more powerful than alcoholism. Jesus is more powerful than drug addiction. Jesus is more powerful than addiction to pornography or shopping or food or anything. He's, he's more powerful. And if you call upon his power and keep calling upon his power, he can change your heart and change you into a different person and pull you out and lift you up. But you have to call upon him in prayer. Uh, same thing with stress and anxiety. You know, if you're one of those people who wakes up frequently at 2 in the morning with your mind just going, and you're freaking out about everything, you just need to go sit down to the kitchen table, take a list out, and write down all the stuff you're stressed out about. And then just give it to God in prayer. Say, God, this is yours. It's yours. And then when you wake up at three, <laughs> do it again. <laughs> and do it again. It's a process. It's not like you know, it necessarily magically goes away. But you have to keep praying. God wants us to seek him in prayer. And just keep praying until you find. And keep seeking the Lord. It's amazing how he'll answer. I love prayer. Prayer is so easy. Maybe you're like, oh, prayer. I, mean, I don't know how to pray. Prayer is so easy. Think about it. Prayer is free. You like free, don't you? Prayer is free. Never going to cost you a dime. No one's ever going to charge you for it. There's no tax on it. There's no tariff. There's no duty. It's free. You can be poor. You can still pray. Think about this about prayer. You can do prayer anywhere. I love that. You can pray at 3 in the morning. You can pray on your commute in and out of Boston and driving around to a job site. You can pray while you're changing a diaper. You can pray while you're mopping the floor. 
If somebody's in your face coming at you at work or at school, you can pray while they're in your face coming at you at work or in school. You can pray in the hospital. You can pray in a jail cell. You can pray in school. I know, kids, you're told you can't. That's baloney. You can pray in school. There's plenty of prayer in school. As long as there's final exams, there will be prayer in school. Um, You can pray in school. They can't stop you. They can't get inside your head and make your head stop praying. You can pray all you want in school. You can pray anywhere you want. It's so great. Another great thing about prayer, anybody can pray. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't even have to know what you're doing. (laughs) You just have to open up your heart and say, God, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't really know how to do this, God. So help me pray. Start there. That's a prayer. A prayer is simply opening your heart up to God and letting whatever little seed of faith is in you express itself. You know, that's the right kind of prayer God wants is from our hearts to his heart, honestly. And he'll teach you how to pray. The Lord will teach you. The Holy Spirit will enable you to pray. You'll become better at praying. But you have to just get going and let it out. And you don't have to be righteous to pray, which is good because... In which case, none of us would be qualified to pray. And so you just open up your heart and start talking to God. Maybe your first prayer is simply going to be this. Are you really there? If you are, I want to know you if you're really there. You know, see what happens. Tug on the cord. And don't be surprised if it tugs back <laughs> in ways that might surprise you. And so just pray. And when we pray, God answers in amazing ways. And so that's how we fight back, is by realizing that we don't have the strength and we need God to save us. And so we fight back against the downward pull of worldliness by being alert and saying, Jesus, help me. Man, you need to pray. Are are you a praying people? Is this a praying church? How much did you pray this week? Have you prayed at all in the last three weeks? How much TV have you watched in the last three weeks? (laughs) What if you tithed some of your TV time? What if you sat down this week and you found out, okay, I I kept a log, I, I watched... Ten hours of TV this week. So I'm going to pray for an hour now. I'm going to tithe an hour of it. I'm going to pick one show. Oh, which one do I pick? I don't know. I'm not going to watch that one. And instead, I'm just going to get on my knees and stumble through prayer and just try it. I mean, what would happen if our whole church prayed an hour a week and, and prayed for God's blessing on the south shore of Boston and prayed for a move of the Holy Spirit in our neighborhoods? I wonder what might happen if we just prayed a little mustard seed of praying. Who knows what the Lord can do? I don't think we've tried yet. I don't think we've tested that out to seek Him. Is there anybody here today who wants to know Jesus and be saved? Is there anyone here who wants to know Christ and be saved? It's so simple. (laughs) There's no ritual. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to go in a confessional. You don't have to be baptized. There's no sacrament that can save you. There's no amount of good works or good deeds. It's so easy. If you want to know Jesus, just open up your heart and pray and say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be saved. I want to be a real Christian. And just let him save you. All it takes is a little faith, which is a gift from God. And just exercise it and call out to him right now. Because all of us have a load that's bearing us down. We all have a load... Of, of stuff, this huge bag on our backs. And, and it's full of all of our baggage and all of our sin and all of our guilt. And the Bible's clear that all of us have it. There's none righteous, no, not one. And this bag is what bears us down. And it's this bag that's going to drag us down to hell when Christ comes back. Unless you can get rid of the bag. 
And there's a great story. Have you heard of this book called Pilgrim's Progress? It's written by a Puritan named uh, John Bunyan back in the 17th century. He was a pastor. He went to prison for his faith. And while he was in prison, he wrote this book, Pilgrim's Progress. It's a really cool book. It's basically an allegory. It's a, a Christian classic. It's an allegory of the Christian life and what it's like to follow Jesus. And, and so it's a story of this guy named Christian, right? Except at the beginning of the story, Christian's not yet a Christian. He's kind of like seeking to become a Christian. But, so, so he's, and he's got this huge bag. It's like a backpack. It's this huge trundle on his back that he's carrying around like this. And, and it's all of his sin and all of his guilt and all the things that keeps him from God. And he's walking up this path. And you remember this part in the story. He comes to the path, and what's in the middle of the road? It's a cross, this big cross. And then on the side of the road, below the cross, is an open grave. And as Pilgrim comes up to the cross, he just looks up to it. And at that moment, the backpack goes pop, pop. And the bag falls off his shoulders and rolls down the hill and plop into the grave. And he's set free. That's a picture of what it means to become a Christian. You just have to look to Jesus with faith. And you're saved. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone, not by works, not by rituals, not by sacraments, not by anything. Just faith in Christ is the New Testament teaching. And you can have faith in Christ in an Apostolic church or a Nazarene church or a Roman Catholic church or Episcopal church. You just have to have faith in Him. It's not the church. It's not the rituals. It's Jesus. And so maybe that's where you want to start today is just with a simple prayer. Jesus, I want to know you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the King of Kings, that you are currently seated at the Father's right hand, that you are the general commanding the hosts of heaven, that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to you. That you are the great victor. You conquered sin, death, and the devil through your resurrection. Lord Jesus, you are our Savior, our warrior, our Father. You're the one who loves us. And so, Jesus, we pray that we might be an alert church. That we might live with such a love for you and a delight in you. That we would be aware of you even as we go about our daily lives. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that whatever is weighing them down and whatever is weighing me down, that we might just hand it over to you in prayer and find your hands pulling us up. And God, I pray for anyone here who's wondering whether or not you're real, whether or not you can save. Jesus, I pray, give them the gift of faith that even before they walk out of these doors, that simple transaction would take place where they would call out to you and be saved and they would live a new life. And so, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray real prayers full of faith as we open our hearts up to you. Lord, be with us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.